Straits brings legal and business insights at the intersection of the shipping and energy sectors. This podcast series offers trends, developments, challenges and topics of interest from Reed Smith litigation, regulatory and finance lawyers across our network of global offices. If you have any questions about the topics discussed on this podcast, please do contact our speakers. Welcome back to our next episode of Trading Straits. Thank you for joining us and welcome to our podcast about our recent survey on the impact of COVID on the shipping industry. I'm Sally-Anne Underhill, a partner in the transportation group at Reed Smith, and I split my time between our London and Athens offices. And I'm joined today by Nick Austin, a fellow partner in the Reed Smith transportation group in London, and Brett Hillis, a partner in our energy and natural resources group with whom we work closely. The survey was entitled Navigating a Post-Covid World but I'm not quite sure we are yet in a post-COVID world, but hopefully we are coming to the end of the current position. What to say about 2020 and COVID that has not been said before, a year of unprecedented upheaval and change. But there has been some suggestion that as well as all of the awful things that it has brought to us, including the horrors for seafarers and some parts of the industry, and a rethink in terms of globalization. It has demonstrated the value of big data and has managed to advance technological changes by, it's been said, 20 years or so, almost overnight. We certainly weren't planning to work remotely for the last 15 months or so. But let's look at what the survey says and what the industry is saying about the future. So, Nick, if you look at the survey results, technology seems to be one of the big winners of COVID in terms of its advancement. What does the industry think, or do you personally think, are the changes that are with us to stay, and which ones do you think have merely been brought about by necessity? Thanks, Anne. I mean, yes, look, you're absolutely right that technology has been perhaps the single biggest driving force behind the global response to the pandemic. Uh, and no more so than in the shipping industry, which has faced a, a series of well-publicised challenges, perhaps the biggest of those being the, the significant difficulties with crew changes. So I think the industry's adoption of technological change has really accelerated in the last 18 months. And alongside the wider decarbonisation initiative, with which I think it's quite closely linked, it really is now receiving a huge amount of uh, attention and a board level strategic focus, if you like. I think essentially the pandemic has given the industry's leaders a chance to reevaluate the role of newer technologies, automated vessels, blockchain, electronic trading, as well as a, a more basic need for better, uh, more advanced digital systems and uh, infrastructure. Uh, as to which are here to stay, uh, it's perhaps too early to tell. Three quarters of the survey respondents said that the pandemic had increased the need uh, for better and more robust uh, IT systems, uh, given the prevalence of remote working, which the pandemic has obviously necessitated. And I think that's something that's perhaps been more successful for business than than some people had imagined. But of course, that requires a greater technical reliability to manage the risk, uh, but also increased protection too. Uh, The industry remembers, uh, I suppose, all too well, the cyber attack which crippled Maersk a few years ago. So 
there's no doubt remote working is here to stay for, for at least part of the time for many people. And that means those improvements in systems, uh, I think, are here to stay, even though necessitated by the pandemic. I think a couple of other points I'd make, Sally-Anne, is that there's a, there is an increasing focus and has been on electronic bills of lading, electronic trading documents, whose time, some say, may finally be coming. Uh, initiatives to reduce reliance on paper in international trade have been around for, for many years, but there does seem to be a really renewed focus on it as a result of the, the wider emphasis on digitalization uh, during the pandemic. And in fact, legal systems are starting to realise that they need to catch up. The Law Commission in the UK has recently published uh, their proposals to update the legal framework for a world in which uh, electronic trade documents are more widely used. So that's definitely a space to watch. Automated vessels, they don't require crew, and which could therefore have been operated throughout the pandemic without the crew change crisis affecting them, uh, and not least in terms of the human costs that that has entailed. And I see that 39% of our respondents said automation uh, was likely to be the biggest driver of technological change in the next five years. We know that countries like the US and South Korea uh, are moving forward uh, with really ambitious projects uh, to assess uh, the viability of that. So it's gaining some traction. And just a final word uh, on this question, Sally-Anne, about decarbonisation and the the IMO's target to halve uh, shipping emissions by 2050 – Another 39% of our survey respondents, uh, so the same as the portion who said automation was important, said that the single biggest factor would be the technology required to achieve that target. Renewable fuels, the machinery, the infrastructure needed to uh, deliver that. And because climate change is such a big issue, uh, that may end up being the one uh, that's at the top of everyone's list for some, some time to come. I was thinking about your role, Sally-Anne, and the work that you do. The cruise industry has obviously been hugely hit by the pandemic, with 93% of respondents saying it has been the most impacted sector in the shipping market. What do you think about the industry? Does it have a bright future? And what do you think the challenges are to achieving that? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting year for the cruise industry. I'm not sure we'll ever um, completely forget what happened last year and the shock that everybody was experiencing in in March. If you remember, looking back, um, what happened was that Italy was the first European country really affected and in the news with COVID reports. And what happened at that time was really unprecedented in terms of there being cruise ships in the Med that started to be turned away from Italian and then other ports just because somebody on board had a sniffle, you know, or a slightly raised temperature. And also have to bear in mind that this was the first time really certainly in any of our living memories, and I think most people's living memories, of anything even remotely like this in Western Europe or the States. So, I mean, obviously, sadly, Asia has had previous experience of epidemics and there was in some way a plan of action. But in Europe and the States, there was a genuine fear as to what was going to happen and how everyone would cope. So I remember distinctly giving advice on the night before the fateful Friday, the 13th March, on which all cruise ships and cruises were suspended. And as we had seen up and in the run up to that, we had got cruise ships that were unable to complete their cruises and really awful tales that were in the press of passengers who are on board cruise ships, some of them in windowless cabins, 
others who had COVID but weren't allowed to get off the vessel and were therefore kept on board in really confined spaces. And some people died in those circumstances. So that's obviously led to litigation and compensation and perhaps potentially, interestingly, for the future of cruise ships, a number of cruise credits for those same passengers, um, assuming they survived. So at the time the survey went out to the cruise industry, um, or to the industry as a whole, it was said that 93% of people thought that the cruise ship industry was going to be affected. And I think at the time that was really true. It was thought that it was going to have a massive long-term effect. But I think we have to remember that prior to March 2020, it was a really booming industry. So the demand for cruises had probably never been higher. And even during this time when people haven't been able to cruise properly, there has become this new demand for what's known as a cruise to nowhere. So it started off in Singapore, but if you Google it, you can find them in Australia. There's quite an extensive one from Sydney. And also uh, we're beginning to see everything opening up. So we've got Italian ports now allowing large cruise ships in. Uh, I've read this week about Spanish ports opening up. And even in the States, there's reference to cruises reopening and restarting by the middle of July. So I think that although there was this concern, and there probably is still a, a relatively high level of concern as to how it's all going to pan out, I think it's going to survive and will thrive. I think that obviously there's been a lot of job losses and a lot of the smaller operators haven't survived. And we've seen older and smaller vessels being sold and being sent for recycling. So perhaps there'll be a change in dynamics to the newer and larger cruise companies. But even saying that, I know of some smaller operators or some people who've split off from old operators who've started to rejuvenate and rebuild their industry on some level. And I think that the vaccination programme will be essential to that. I think obviously things like hygiene and practices will perhaps change for the good and longer term. I mean, I personally quite like the fact that people on trains now have masks on and they're not sneezing or coughing on me. And I'm sure that 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 can't be a completely bad thing. But ultimately, I think that the demands, not to mention all those cruise credits, will mean that it will survive. But that doesn't mean there's not challenges. I mean, confidence has obviously been massively knocked. And I think that the cruise companies have really got that in their own hands. They've got to rebuild that confidence for their passengers and have a plan of action going forward. And that's not only if somebody on board the vessel has a problem, but also when you get to any of the ports that they're visiting, how how the cruise operators promise customers and passengers that they are going to deal with any issues that arise. So it might be that there were restrictions for a while, but I think that the the cruise company's great position to to sort of rebuild and rebuild it better. Um, Just very quickly before um, I ask some questions of Brett, which I will do, Brett, so you don't feel left out. Just commenting also on that 7% that talk about containers and container ships, how they're going to be impacted for them obviously the story has been really different and it's been great business for them and I suppose the question is how that's going to change going forward but the indicators are that the container industry is still going to thrive not necessarily because of COVID itself but because of things like in the US where there has been shortages and therefore there is an increased demand 
And also there's been reference to misallocation of shipping containers and there's been sort of an upward pressure on the rates. So I think, you know, there are winners and losers uh, in in almost all circumstances. But I I think that containers are going to continue to do well and I'm confident about the cruise industry as a whole. So, Brett, I promise that I would ask you, with your sort of trade specialisation and your experience with sanctions work, one of the things that seems to have happened is that globalisation has been really hit by COVID. And there's that um, sort of closing of borders and industries shut down. So what does the industry think are the next steps or do you think are the next steps in terms of the reintroduction of trade routes? Or do you think they're likely to be impacted in the longer term? I think it's um, like a really interesting question. So during the height of the COVID pandemic, we saw, you know, some disruption, considerable disruption to trade routes. And I think this was primarily through a couple of causes. And firstly, because the pandemic sort of forced some ports to close. And so that meant that uh, vessels were finding themselves having to change route, you know, in order to find an accessible port to kind of carry on business. And and this, you know, did impact, you know, some trade routes. So, you know, one of the examples that, that's given in the survey is flour exports from Kenya to Europe, which were, you know, at one point, you know, um, fell by 50%. At the same time as disruption from from that, you know, we saw, you know, increases in demand for some products. You know, who can forget some of the sort of panic buying that took place in Europe and, and in the US? So you saw kind of pressure on trade routes, you know, from that. So there was lots of short term disruption. But I think, you know, the question that um, people were asked in, in the survey on this, interestingly, was do you think trade routes will change as a result of COVID-19? And, you know, it's really interesting. Um, just over two thirds, 67.5% of those who responded to that question said no. You know, they didn't think that uh, trade routes would change as a result of um, kind of COVID-19. So there's there's clearly there, you know, a view, I, I think that, you know, COVID-19 will, will not be a, a cause of changes to, to trade routes. I think you can maybe look at this issue sort of slightly more broadly, though. And I think, you know, generally, and I think we've seen this also with technology, you know, one of the things with COVID is perhaps it speeds up kind of changes and processes which perhaps would have taken place already, but it accelerates them. And and I think, you know, COVID, what a, a part of the zeitgeist at the moment, I think, is a sense of people looking much more closely at the kind of environmental, the security kind of aspects of the human rights aspects of kind of long of long supply chains and and this impacts kind of trade routes as well so we're seeing kind of legislative moves for example in the European Union where there's a you know a proposed uh, directive which will you know require companies to undertake environmental kind of and human rights 
you know, diligence on their supply chains. So I do think, whereas COVID itself is perhaps not necessarily the cause of changes to trade routes, I think that probably what COVID may have done is kind of uncovered, you know, some perceived risks around very long kind of international supply chains. And so as part of one people's kind of risk management, but also sort of as as part of how people kind of manage kind of environmental human rights type issues, I think there will be more kind of questions raised about those uh, kind of um, supply chains and, and therefore trade routes, you know, which are long or kind of complicated or where it's difficult to uncover kind of exactly where a product comes from. Thanks for that, Brett. I think that's a really uh, interesting insight into that particular aspect of the survey. And, and Sally-Anne, I thought your uh, insights also into the cruise industry were were really uh, useful too. Uh, it falls to me to say thank you to everyone for listening today. We hope you found this podcast interesting and helpful and that you've had a chance or you'll get a chance to read the survey if you haven't seen it already uh, by all means do contact any of us at reed smith if you want to uh, chat about any of the issues we've discussed today in more detail we'd be delighted to speak to you trading straits is a reed smith production our producer is ali mccardle for more information about reed smith's energy and natural resources or transportation practices please email trading at reedsmith.com You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher and ReadSmith.com and our social media accounts at ReadSmithLLP on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.